see you all. Uh, thanks for reading, Jen. I'm uh, looking forward to getting to this final passage in uh, Second Kings. It's been quite a journey, but we've made it to the end of a book, uh, and I'm keen to hear what God has to say and teach us from this final section. So why don't I pray as we turn to his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak through your word to us for these few minutes right now. Open our eyes to your truth, our hearts to your love, and move our hands to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was uh, filling up getting some petrol the other day, and uh, I went and paid for it. And I noticed the guy standing there at the cash register had a little badge that said uh, training. And it was kind of black and yellow, appropriately, like an L-plate on a car. Uh, But it got me thinking about all the other areas of life that we could do this. Someone could have a little training badge on. Like, we do it with car drivers. They have an L-plate, but we don't do it with mechanics or dentists. I suppose we'd be pretty worried if our dentist had a training sign on. Uh, you know, maybe me, last two years here as a minister, I should have a training little badge on. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess we, we're always training in life, aren't we? We're always learning new things. Uh, maybe we should all have them on all the time. Well, uh, a famous saying is that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, it's, um, it's as obvious as it is true. Um, and more than learning from the past, history so we don't repeat it, our passage today shows us that we need to be learning who God is from history. God reveals himself to us through history. Uh, Today's passage, it's about a terrible event that happened in the past, the exile of Judah from the promised land. But if we don't learn about God from this, from this history, then uh, we'll we'll be condemned to repeat it, won't we? And the tragedy is that uh, I talk to people uh, all the time who, who are aware of this event but haven't learned from it, haven't truly understood who God is, that he could do this to his people. Um, and so we're going to look at it now and see what it says about, about God and, uh, and about us and how we should live. So let's uh, turn to our passage uh, and see what are, the, what are these final lessons from the end of Second Kings. Uh, and of course, firstly, it is that God judges. Our passage, it, it shows us something of God's character as the righteous judge moved uh, to punish sin and to act against evil. And boy, have we seen some evil in the book of Kings, haven't we? It's just been week after week, almost with very few exceptions, just evil king after evil king. It's, it's become monotonous. It's been uninspiring and sad. Uh, I was chatting with Phil Colgan and he compared it to, uh, you know when you watch a TV series and, and you kind of, uh, you're a bit bored of it, uh, but you just, you want to finish it. And so you just just going through his last kind of few series or episodes or, or last few scenes, whatever it is, you're just, you're just sick of it. It's the same thing. And, and the book of Kings has become a bit like that, hasn't it? It's just evil king after evil king. And the writing is on the wall for them. Uh, and we're, we're bored, we're sickened um, by their unfaithfulness. Well, we're down to our last four today. I'll quickly go through them because it's actually a key point of Israel's history, a key part of the Bible to understand how Israel came to be in exile. Um, and like the passage, rather than focusing on the evil that they did, I'll focus on the consequences of the evil. Our author, it races uh, through the last four kings. He goes very quickly through this section. He, it's almost like he wants to get it over with. Uh, there's three empires, four kings. Um, the empires, were, there was Assyria from, who uh, took out the northern kingdom uh, previously in Second Kings. We've had that in previous weeks. Uh, and then this week there's Egypt and Babylon, uh, and then there's two waves of deportations uh, of the Judeans out of their land. Well, let's jump in. Our first king 
is Jehoahaz. Uh, and verse 30 tells us that he is the son of Josiah. And I don't know if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Josiah. He was the great, the great reformer. He, he, he had a, a heart that burned after Yahweh like David's did. Um, but we see that righteousness is not genetic. As we read about his son in verse uh, 32, it says, He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. And so, so God, because of this, he removes his protection from Judah, uh, and the Egyptian empire's king, Pharaoh Necho, imprisons the Judean king, uh, and then the Judeans are forced to pay tribute, uh, and then Jehoahaz dies in prison. And that's the end of that first king. Didn't take long. The next king is Jehoiakim, another of Josiah's sons, uh, who was put in place by Pharaoh to rule in Judah in verse 34. Uh, and God, even in that final hour, that, that most final of hours, God still implores his people to repent. Uh, we read in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was prophesying at this time. If you want to know more about this part of Israel's history, read the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and so Jeremiah 36, verse 3, God says, um, Perhaps when the house of Judah hears about the disaster I am planning to bring on them, each one of them will turn from his evil way, and then I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin. And if you remember, this is what happened with Josiah. Uh, he found the scroll of God's word, uh, and he to- it totally turned the nation around. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? It was just inspiring. totally turned the nation around when he discovered God's word. And so God, God says through Jeremiah, here, maybe, maybe if, they, if I can just tell them, if they can just hear, they will repent. Well, so yeah, God, God has this uh, scroll prepared by Jeremiah, for Jehoiakim, and uh, Jeremiah uh, 36 tells us of how he uh, has the scroll read before him. It sets the scene in uh, Jeremiah 36 verse 22. It says that it was in winter, the king was there in his winter quarters, we're told, with the fire burning in front of him. I can only assume wearing Ugg boots and like a fur dressing gown or something. And he has the scroll read, and, and Jeremiah 36:23 says... It recounts it for us. As soon as Jehudi, his officer, would read three or four columns, Jehoiakim would cut the scroll with a scribe's knife and throw the columns into the blazing fire until the entire scroll was consumed by the fire. It's it's incredible that he would do this. It's just throwing it in God's face, cutting up God's word and, and taking kind of pleasure in burning it bit by bit, absolutely rubbing it in God's face, sticking it to God. 2 Kings 23, 37 summarizes saying, Jehoiakim did evil as his ancestors had done. Well, the consequence, what choice? What choice did God have in the face of such unrepentant evil? 2 Kings 24, verse 2 continues, it says, The Lord sent Chaldean, Chaldeans, is, it's kind of, it's the Babylonians, uh, Armenian, Moabite, Ammonite raiders against Jehoiakim, He sent them against Judah to destroy it. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through his servants, the prophets, as Jeremiah said would happen. God acts according to Jeremiah's prophecy, delivering on the scroll. God the judge judges here. And now he sends this terrible punishment. See, God is righteous. He cannot let unrighteousness go unpunished, sin go unpunished. The day is coming when those who are unrepentant will be punished, will be removed. And Kings, Kings uses the language of banishment. Uh, 2 Kings 24 verse 3 says, Indeed, this is what happened to Judah 
at the Lord's command to remove him from his sight. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of all the innocent blood that he had shed, he had Jerusalem filled with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Sin led to punishment. The shedding of the innocent blood of evil was to be punished. Uh, and that's what God does. He punishes it. And uh, at, at the end of verse 24 there are the most terrifying words. Uh, the Lord would not forgive. The Lord would not forgive. And it just, it just sends shivers down my spine that God would say, I'm not going to forgive. I will not forgive this. And we've got to learn, look at what this is saying about who God is. Uh, you know, some people think that God is all about love. Uh, the judgment is not in his character. But see here clearly, God, he, he does forgive, he loves to forgive, but he also reserves the right not to pardon, not to forgive, uh, and instead to judge and to punish. And in today's passage, that's what happens. He does not forgive, he banishes. We need to meet and to know and to worship the true God, Yahweh, as he reveals himself to us. We need to learn from history, lest we be condemned to repeat it. For God will judge the whole world and it will be the same as with Judah. Acts 17 verse 30 says, Therefore having overlooked, having forgiven the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. God's appointed Jesus to judge the world. The same thing is going to happen at the end of our whole world as happened at the end of the kingdom of Judah. And yet people haven't learnt from what God did in the past. They say, God wouldn't do this. God would not punish. And yet here he is. And as they say, he will do it again. He promises to do it again. And so now all people are called to repent in the name of Jesus. Now is the time to repent. It isn't going to happen for you. You have to do it. It's not going to happen for people. Every individual has to do this. Repent in the name of Jesus. Because we learn today that God's patience runs out eventually. There's a limit to his pardoning unrighteousness. It's a terrible thing. Well, on with, our, on with the final history of 2 Kings. Um, as I said, this passage covers a key moment in, uh, in biblical history, so pay attention. The next king of Judah was Jehoiachin, uh, under whose evil reign Judah is, is really destroyed. Uh, so let me summarize very quickly. We meet Jehoiachin in 24 verse 8. Uh, he did evil, we are told. And so God sends the Babylonians against him. In verse 10, it says, At that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. Uh, so they surround it. Jehoiachin soon surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians then overrun the city. Um, and then we're told they raid it. They raid the temples in verse 14. Uh, it finally happens. They are deported. Verse 14 says, He deported all Jerusalem. Uh, everyone except, it says in verse 14, except for the poorest of the land, no one remained. And this, this deporting was how Daniel ended up in, in Babylon. We read in the book of Daniel. Well, just when you think it couldn't get worse, it does with Judah's final king now, uh, Zedekiah. 
um, in verse 24, uh, sorry, chapter 24, verse 17, uh, who the Babylonians, they send in Zedekiah to replace Jehoiachin, and they use Zedekiah as a puppet king uh, who they could control. And this is what has been happening. The, the, the armies will come in, Egypt did it as well, and they take the king that's there and they put up another king in his place and they look to control that king. He's a puppet king. Let me explain what's going on there. So when, when an empire takes out the leadership of another country, another empire, they need to have a strategy to replace it, don't they, to replace the leadership. But of course, they still want to control it. Uh, and it was interesting thinking about this, you know, like with America in Afghanistan. Uh, so they removed uh, the Taliban in 2001. Um, and I have a, a photo of some of the imprisoned Taliban fighters. Uh, and by, by 2003, so two years later, most of the fighting was over. Is that, is that photo there of the Taliban fighters? Let's see if we can find that. There we go. I just think it's a fascinating photo. But the, the, the fighting was over pretty soon, and then they had to try and work out what they're going to do. And so the next photo, um, you can see here, the U.S. tries to set up a democracy in Afghanistan. Is there a photo of some boxes? There we go. So they, they have an election, and people cast their votes. But the U.S. is still trying to control. They've taken over. Like, you, it was an election. You could vote, but you couldn't vote for the Taliban. It wasn't that kind of an election. Uh, and so the final photo here, like, America, this is, you know, the Afghani president shaking Bush's hand, it, um, the U.S. is still controlling them. Uh, thankfully, I don't, I'm not a supporter of the Taliban. <laughs> but you can see how they've taken up the leadership and trying to control it. And so that's what's happening in, in Kings in different ways. Um, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you could get up this map of, this was the, the northern kingdom, Israel, at the top there in the green. That was them. And then Assyria came and uh, totally took them out. And the way Assyria would take over a land was they would repopulate it with new people. And so you can see the kind of patchwork afterwards of different repopulated people. Well, that's not what Babylon uh, did. Their strategy was to take the king and put a puppet king in instead. Uh, and so that's what's happening here with Zedekiah. It's a little bit more like uh, the Americans in Afghanistan, you could say. So Zedekiah, he was the last king of Judah. And we're told again, he did what was evil in verse 19. Uh, and the road... The road really here has truly run out for Judah. Um, verse 20 says, Because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point where Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally banished them from his presence. And so how is God going to do this final blow? It is through the king of Zedekiah, because Zedekiah rebels against Babylon. <laughs> He's been put there by Babylon, uh, and he rebels against them, and they say that's absolutely it, and they come in and they absolutely... Uh, ransack Judah. Uh, Zedekiah incredibly rebels against Babylon. So uh, 20, chapter 25 of Second Kings, verse 1, um, we get Babylon's reaction. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. <laughs> and they lay siege to the city and build a siege wall against it all around. So they completely surround the city and they, they starve it out for two years until they are forced to to try and flee. Um, and of course, the, the Babylonians capture them as they do. Um, they capture the king uh, and they, they sentence him and it's a, it's a very grisly sentence. Um, I'll, I'll read it so you, you get a sense of the just how terrible it is. It says in verse 7 of chapter 25, they, they slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes and finally the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah, bought him, uh, bound him in bronze chains and took him to Babylon. So just the most awful of ends for Zedekiah. 
And then the Babylonians uh, destroy the glory of the land, the nation of Israel. We, we get these descriptions. Its temples, its palaces, its great houses are all destroyed in verse 9. The wall in verse 10 is torn down. Uh, the people themselves, those who remained in the land from the previous deportation in verse 11, they are then deported. In verse 12, as this very feeble note, it says only a few of the poorest in the land were left to look after the fruit trees. It's kind of this very feeble picture of who is who is remaining. And then the author does this interesting thing. He zooms in and, and for five whole verses, verses 13 to 18, we get a description of how the Babylonians tore apart the temple. So, for example, verse 14, they took the pots, the shovels, the wick trimmers, the dishes, the bronze articles used in temple service. And you're kind of thinking, you know, like we've just had the wall torn down. Why are we talking about the candle wicks? Uh, but it, it's saying that they, they ripped apart the Old Testament religion. How, how could they do the Levitical sacrifices without all of these uh, temple articles? It wasn't going to be possible. The Babylonians have truly destroyed this. God has had it. The experiment has failed. The people are to be punished. Uh, in verses 18 to 21, the, the cultural elites, the, those who ran Judah, are put to death. And then in verse 21, finally, a summary is offered. So Judah went into exile from its land. Yeah, they sure did. At this point, this truly is the end for Judah. Well, uh, there, are, there are two kind of uh, sort of epilogues. There are two kind of epilogues. The first is with Gedaliah in verse 22. Babylon then, uh, they, they've taken away Zedekiah. They appoint Gedaliah. Um, to rule Judah, again, another puppet leader. And, and long story short, the Judeans that remained came out of hiding and killed Gedaliah. Uh, and so our first kind of epilogue ends saying in verse 25, Then all the people from the youngest to the oldest, the commanders of the army, left and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And so these people um, rebel again and then flee to Egypt. Do you know how uh, some words are kind of trigger words? Some words are trigger words. People will, they'll say it and someone will kind of cringe. Uh, you know, and, and some words that they're sure to bring on a rant, a corporate jargon, jargon can often be like this. You know, someone says, we want you to think outside the box. It's like, what box? Who's, who's got the box? Would I know if I was in the box? Where's the box? It's a bit of a trigger word. Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Egypt is a little bit of a trigger word. Uh, and the book of Kings ends by saying the Judeans uh, were back in the land. Uh, they fled to Egypt, it says. They fled back to Egypt. And uh, it's, it's key because this is who the Israelites were. God rescued them out of Egypt. He, he, he you know, remember, they parted the waters. He, he took them out of Egypt. He rescued them to bring them to a great land. And here, it just says, just a little comment, they've gone back. They fled back to Egypt. And we see their unfaithfulness has undone God's plan to give them a land of freedom. And Second Kings is it's meant to ask, uh, meant to cause you to ask, uh, how could you do this, God? How, God, how could you do this to your people? Um, whatever happened to all those promises you made uh, to Abraham? What? Yeah, like you, you just kind of you're meant to be left in disbelief. Uh, do you remember the promises that God made to Abraham? Uh, can anyone call them out? There are three famous promises. This is a bit of a test. Land, 
Yeah, yeah, offspring, people, children, yeah. And blessings, very good. Look, I can tell some people here, maybe they've done PTC, intro to the Bible, or just know their Bible as well. Yeah, God, it's the key. Uh, The reason it's such a big thing is this is how you can really understand why everything in the Old Testament is in the Old Testament. So much of it is explained by understanding this. Uh, And these three things, they now seem to be in tatters, don't they? The land, I mean, the temple's been destroyed, even down to the candle wicks. Uh, The the blessings, the people, they're they're slaves again. They're in foreign lands. They're back in Egypt. And and the people, uh, we find out uh, that that promise would go through uh, David in 2 Samuel 7. Um, Well, it's all in tatters, isn't it? It's such a dark hour. uh, And the question it's kind of like, where is hope? Like, what's God doing? It's actually a, it's, it's a question all humanity asks, isn't it? Like, what's going on here? How could God let this happen? Uh, there's, I was reading a book, Interesting Reflection, on this. Um, Alain de Baton, uh, his little book, News, A User's Guide, he's kind of reflecting on the news and the news cycles and all of those things. Um, and he, he ponders how in the news everything just seems so dark and depressing you know sex scandals murder theft beatings economic recession uh, and he, he kind of considers why and in a way his answer is that um, only the negative things make good headlines he's kind of like the the positive things are almost unprintable and he gives some examples of the, the positive things like uh, for example a headline you couldn't imagine would be grandmother 87 helped up a flight of stairs by a kind stranger she didn't know or man abandons rash plan to kill his wife after a brief pause. Or teacher surmounts his feelings for a young student. Or billions of people go to bed every night without murdering or hitting anyone. And it's, a, it's an interesting point. Elaine makes a good point. Um, and he's really saying uh, hope is to be found in the, the glass half full. Uh, think of the other side of the coin. But Scripture teaches us that cause for hope, it's not just reframing to the optimistic, but it's knowing that God is good, knowing that God is faithful, that he's faithful to his promises. His promises to judge, but also his promises to save. The lesson to be learned from history is that uh, as sure as God will bring about judgment, he will also bring about salvation to those who repent in Christ. Uh, And so secondly, very briefly, uh, the, the second big lesson that you actually see here is that God saves. Um, there's the second kind of uh, epilogue in our passage. It's the final four verses of the book. We've made it to the final four verses of the book of Kings, the two books of Kings. Uh, And in them we have an unexpected message of hope. Let me read uh, verse uh, 25, verse 27. And we meet meet, uh, Evil Merodach, who has just... That's the awesomest name, Evil Merodach, the king of Babylon. It says, On the 27th year of the 12th month of the 37th year of the exile of... Judah's king Jehoiachin, in the year Evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he pardoned King Jehoiachin of Judah and released him from prison. So the Judean uh, king is pardoned. He's still alive in Babylon, we hear, and now he's pardoned and shown favor. And it kind of comes out of nowhere, right at the end of the book of Kings. Out of nowhere, well, I say out of nowhere. The author has jumped forward 27 years. The king's been in exile for that long and he picks out this one detail and then ends his book with it. Uh, And we're told of seven unexpected blessings in verses 27 to 30. So the the Judean king, he's pardoned, released, spoken kindly to. He has his throne over the other kings that were with him there in Babylon. 
He changes out of his prison clothes. He dines regularly at the king's table and he's given an allowance going forward. Uh, And, you know, maybe it it does sound a little bit fanciful, uh, lest you think it's just been tacked on. We actually, in the Babylonian records, they have an account of uh, Jehoiachin, the king that was with him, and and it's kind of like an accounting... I don't know if you can read that. (laughs) It's kind of an accounting ledger and it's got Jehoiachin's uh, daily allowance. And so we know that there was this turn of favor to him. Well, what's going on here? God's being faithful to his promise. Uh, Twice in one verse we're reminded that he was the king of Judah. The book of Kings ends with this little glimmer of hope, a bit like a a Marvel movie. Now, I've got to say, I've been told that Jason Beach, the previous minister here, used to do a lot of Marvel illustrations, and I I haven't done one, but I'm going to do my first one here. Uh, So... The end of the Book of Kings is a little bit like a Marvel movie. Uh, you know, you have the superhero, uh, and you know they're doing a thing, but oh, tragically the building you know falls on top of them, and the, the superhero is crushed by all the rubble, and uh, and that's how the movie ends. Just kind of this hero under this pile of rubble, and uh, you're sitting there, and you're like, I can't believe this has happened. And then you you wait, you're waiting. You know, the, I don't know if you're like one of those people that leaves straight away after the movie finishes. Or do you wait for the end credit? Is there an end credit scene? And so you're sitting there waiting, and then sure enough, he comes back on the screen after the credits, and you just see his hand, and the little finger moves. And you're like, oh, oh, he's still alive. Oh, he's going to be back for Iron Man 15 or Superman 27. Well, that's what, that's what this ending to the book of Second Kings is a little bit like. You're kind of, oh, the king. You know, just when you thought it was all over, you, you read of this unexpected favor shown to him because God has not forgotten his promise to Abraham uh, to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Um, what, what more fitting way to end a series of the book of Kings than the, the genealogy in Matthew where we can see how this all fits together. So Matthew's gospel uh, where in Matthew 1 uh, verse 11 we get the genealogy. It steps through uh, the history of Israel all the way up to Jesus. It says Josiah, remember who we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Father Jehoiachin now, Jehoiachin here is confusingly listed by his Babylonian name. Don't worry, that's Jehoiachin. You can read about it. Uh, then Jehoiachin fathered Sheltiel in Babylonian exile, which we've just read about. Uh, and then the next line, Sheltiel, so Jehoiachin's son, fathered Zerubbabel. And we continue all the way down to Jesus. Uh, and we can see that God is still working through this line. He continues this line. He continues his promises. He has a plan for salvation. Proverbs, I was reflecting, Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. And, and you can see that in this passage, even this terrible event, God was working through it uh, for his purposes. And that's what history teaches us. It teaches us that God is faithful to judge and to save. And we've got great evidence that God uh, kept his promise to save as he delivered uh, a Judean king in Jesus. Um, And we've got great evidence that God keeps his promises to judge, as we've seen today in this exile, uh, with Judah being exiled. And so we've got great confidence for the future that God uh, will judge evil and punish it, but that he will also save a people and bless them and give them a land in the new creation. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your righteousness, judging evil, and we praise you for your goodness and love. 
for saving a people and creating a nation and calling all to take part in it. Father, help us to trust you, to rely on your goodness, and to build our lives around you and your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.